At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and this is why these miracle, miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And as his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He broke up the loaves and gave them to the, the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Uh, would you pray with me? Our God and Father, uh, we ask that you may bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, isn't it true that um, whoever can give us what we need, when we need it, in the way that we want it, uh, becomes somewhat dear and precious to us? Uh, we begin to run to that person or that thing, uh, and we begin to rely on that person or that thing uh, because it gives us what we want, uh, when we want it, in the way that we want it. Uh, for example, I love at the moment, particularly this year, I'm really loving the footy um, and I have access to my dad's Foxtel subscription. And so I'm loving Foxtel just because it gives me all the footy games when I want them. I can rewind, rewatch the tries. And so I go to Foxtel all the time because uh, it gives me what I want. Uh, same now with the Olympics coverage. Uh, going to that 7 Plus app all the time. I'm relying on it. Uh, I'm going to it. I need it. Now, when it comes to food, uh, you know, my favorite cafe in our area is Jay Brewers, where we used to do church. If you haven't yet been to Jay Brewers, go and support Jay. He, he needs your support in this time. Uh, we go there because I want to find a coffee that's actually good, that will satisfy me every time. And so I rely on Jay Brewers for that. 
Uh, when I want dirty food, uh, I go to Jimmy's Kebab and I get a halal snack pack. Uh, and I'm relying on Jimmy to deliver the goods. I need uh, the deep fried potato chips and the dirty meat with the chili sauce and the garlic. And oh man, I start to get excited just thinking about that. And I run to Jimmy's on a Friday night because I want Jimmy. <laughs> well, I want his food anyway. Um, today, uh, as we look at this passage, what we're going to see is that Jesus provides. Now, that Jesus provides for his people. And therefore, when we truly understand who Jesus is and what he's done, we ought to have that same kind of reaction to Jesus. When we realize how much we need him, we will run to him and rely on him. He'll become all the more precious and dear to us because he supplies what we truly want, what we truly need in the way that we want it, in the way that we need it door just slammed. It's a very um, interesting passage, probably a passage that you've looked at in kids, in Sunday school, um, you may have heard it preached on before, uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000. But I only want to preach one simple idea from this passage, that Jesus provides for his people and through his people. And so today, there's two simple points to take us through the text. Jesus provides for us and Jesus provides through us. And my hope is, is that we will become even more reliant and that we will run to Jesus uh, and he will become even more precious as a result of preaching through this passage. So point number one, Jesus provides for us. Jesus provides for us. Uh, to back up and give a bit of context, uh, chapter 13, we were looking at all those parables and we saw Jesus explain to the crowds, he's departed from teaching publicly and now he's in the kind of uh, wilderness and desolate areas and he's, he's telling the crowds these parables. He's kind of hiding the truth because people have been rejecting him. As we're seeing, growing opposition mount against Jesus, chapter after, excuse me, after chapter after chapter. And then at the beginning of chapter 14, we hear of this story that's happened. It's another, um, another sense or another shadow of the opposition that's looming against Jesus. John the Baptist, the one, <clears throat> the, the one that was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, the one that baptized Jesus, the one that called out, this is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. We're, well, we read in verses uh, 1 through 11 uh, that he was tragically um, murdered in prison, unjustly murdered in prison by the, the corrupt king of um, Israel at the time, Herod. Uh, it was a, a royal feast, but a sordid one at that. A disgusting amount of entertainment with, you know, his own daughter involved. And it's all very, uh, that feast is very disgusting. Uh, but then we're contrasted with another feast, the feeding of the 5,000. But Matthew gives us, before we get to the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew gives us this beautiful little insight into Jesus and who he is and what he was really like. Read with me again, verse 13. <clears throat> now, when Jesus heard this, that is, when he heard about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. 
When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. You know, I love these insights into Jesus. They demonstrate the intermingling of his divinity and his humanity. And this scene displays it so beautifully. Jesus cares about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is his cousin. And so he goes and wants to actually take, he needs personal quiet time. He wants to have a retreat where he goes into the wilderness, away from all the crowds, away from distraction, so that he can grieve, so that he can contemplate, so that he can have time alone with his heavenly father. And in this time alone, I believe that what is most likely happening is Jesus is also reflecting um, on the death of John as a shadow of the cross, uh, the death that he is going to encounter in a year or two's time. The shadow of the cross looms over this passage as the great last prophet of the Old Testament is beheaded. The one who pointed and made the way for Jesus well, makes the way in a different way uh, through his death. And it shows a slight shadow of where Jesus' ministry is heading. And so Jesus goes to be away, to be alone, and to be with God. But it doesn't last very long. Look again at verse 13b and 14. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on, excuse me, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Later, we find out that it's at least 5,000 men plus women and children. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus withdraws after hearing this news. Perhaps someone ran into town and said, did you hear John the Baptist has been beheaded? They watched Jesus go, get into a boat and go out into Lake Galilee. But the crowds are hungry. They're hungry for more of Jesus. They're hungry for a healer, for a miracle worker. And they're desperate and needy. And so they chase Jesus down on foot. Likely they're on the the bank and and they can see Jesus out in, in Lake Galilee. It wasn't so big that he would just get completely lost. And they tracked his movements. They ran along the coastline anticipating where Jesus was going to get off. When Jesus gets off the boat for his desolate retreat, he's met by a mob of desperate and needy people clamoring for him. But what was Jesus's reaction? Well, how would you and I react to this? Uh, If it was me, and it is me every 5 p.m. when I finish work and I come inside, my reaction when I'm not sanctified and living godly is, oh my goodness, help me, Lord. Go away. I just want some time on my own. I just, I've been going hard and now here are these children and and they just want everything from me right now. Well, look again. What does Jesus do? When he went ashore and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Tired as Jesus was, grieved as he was, depleted as he was. When he sees a crowd of hurting and helpless people, what rises up within him? Compassion and care. Jesus is moved 
to his core. That's what that word compassion means. And he is moved to action. He doesn't just have mere sympathy. He acts upon this desperate condition that they have. And so he spends the rest of his desolate retreat going from man to woman to child, healing and healing and healing them all. Likely, Jesus has spent time uh, contemplating what is about to come, that on the cross he's going to bear all of our sins, bear the curse and the wrath of God. And when he comes ashore, he's before him are all the pains and the effects of the fall the pains and the effects of the fall that he's going to take upon himself. He sees men and women with infected skin that is meant to be whole and beautiful like it was back in Eden. Men and women and children with deformed, broken and lame limbs that are meant to be straight. Blind eyes, deaf ears and stopped tongues that are meant to be able to see, hear and speak God's glory. And even bodies most likely possessed and tormented by that wicked snake of the garden. And yet confronted with all of the curse and the pain, compassion arises. And he heals and he heals and he heals from daybreak or midday until the end of the day, till the the sun sets. What arises out of Jesus? Well, as we saw in chapter 9 and chapter 11, compassion oozes out of him. Care extends naturally from him. But then his compassion is not dried up or depleted with the healings. It's extended even further. Look at verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the village and buy food for themselves. It's late at night. The crowds are hungry. They're in the middle of nowhere. There's like, there's not like a Macca's nearby or anything that everyone can just go to. They don't have any food because they've just legged it after Jesus. He spent all day healing. Uh, They've been well looked after. And the disciples, you know, they have a practical and wise solution There's still enough time. If everyone starts going back, maybe they can get a feed and and go back into the towns and have food for the night. I mean, you've done a great work, Jesus. You've served them so well. Uh, Now let's send them away. Like the day's over, shift's over. But Jesus doesn't think that's the solution. The shepherd wants to continue caring for his sheep. And so we read verses 16 to 21, what happens? But Jesus said, They do not need to, or they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, well, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So even though Jesus was originally here to be alone, to be with the Lord, his care and provision 
won't be stopped. He doesn't want his people to go away, even after he's healed them, he doesn't want them to go away on an empty stomach. And so, as we saw in this reading, he takes the meager supplies and makes an incredible miracle happen. He feeds the 5,000 men and women and children, maybe up to 20,000 people perhaps are there. And look what the text says. They aren't just fed. They are satisfied. They are full and happy. They have feasted with the good king. So what do we make of all of this? Well, again, in this passage, Matthew is at pains to give us another insight into the care of the Savior for his people. We see that Jesus provides for his people. Jesus provides for his people. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. He provided for them in that way. And then he had compassion on them and fed their bellies. He didn't want to send them away empty-handed. And I want to pause here because I don't want us to miss this or skip over it too quickly. Because I think that our default disposition, even as disciples of Christ, that when we are suffering and hurting is to have hard thoughts about God. Isn't it true that we naturally think when things go wrong, he doesn't care. He doesn't have time for me. He doesn't notice. But here again, this narrative corrects our thinking and informs us. No, no, no. He has compassion. He cares for his people. Even in the lowest ebbs of his mortal human and mental energy, he expends himself in compassion and mercy. Friends, in your suffering and in your pain, have no hard thoughts of God. Harbor no sneaking suspicions of his care and compassion for you. And instead, here is the simple application point from point number one. Run to him. Like the crowds traced out his boat on the shore because they were aware of their desperate need. They knew they needed healing. They knew they needed Jesus. And so they ran after him. Humbly, in your need, run to Jesus, the one who provides for his people. He will not turn you away. He will not turn you away because that's not who he is he may not immediately completely or miraculously provide what you think you need in that moment like he did for the people on the shore but he will provide for his people are you full of sickness and aches and pains in this time Are you full of sins and sorrows? Perhaps you're full of doubts and and wonderings, full of fears and anxieties. Where will you turn? Who will you turn to to meet your needs? 
Well, this passage, this narrative, Matthew wants us again to see that Jesus will provide for his people and therefore run to him. Lay out your cause before him. Lay out your needs before him. He will never drive you away. As the great hymn that we sing says, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. And then the refrain is what we're meant to do. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Saviour, oh, there are 10,000 charms. The one who can provide what we truly need becomes dear and precious to us. And this section teaches us that Jesus provides for us. Therefore, church, or those who are outside of Christ listening in, run to Jesus. He will not drive you away. But not only does Matthew want us to know that Jesus provides for us, but we're also going to see that we have a role to play in the provision ministry as well. That leads us to point number two. Point number one, Jesus provides for us. Point number two, Jesus provides through us. Point number two, Jesus provides through us. If you've been tracking the miracles as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, it's an interesting twist to the plot that in this miracle, Jesus involves the disciples actively in the miracle to teach them a lesson. Often, and in the case of the healings, it's Jesus doing all the work. And you've got to remember, like, this is a crowds of thousands and thousands of people. Jesus has literally gone from person to person, to person, to story, to story, to story, to infection, disease, brokenness, demon, and healed every single one of them. But now he involves the disciples. As one commentator, Grant Osborne, says, he wants the disciples to learn that God's agents must care for God's flock. Not only does he provide for us, he provides through us. Look at verse 15 to 17 again. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. He calls upon the disciples to provide the supplies for the crowds which was obviously an impossible task, <laughs> feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. But nonetheless, the disciples go, oh, okay, uh, they go out. And if you read the other accounts, because this gospel is actually in all four, uh, this miracle story is in all four of the gospels, they go out and try and find some food. They scrounge around and they report back in verse 17. And they said to Jesus, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Now, obviously, that's not going to cut it. It would be like getting a couple of sausage rolls to feed the fans at the footy. It's not even enough food for the disciples, let alone the crowd. And so now they've come to the end of their abilities. Jesus is going to provide the solution 
And in it, we're going to learn a valuable lesson in discipleship. Let's look at verses 18 to 21 again and look at how in ministry and in the calling that God has given us, we are called, or Jesus provides for other people through us, through his disciples. Look at verse 18. And he said, bring them here to me. So bring the five loaves and two fish. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They were stuffed. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Matthew's making this simple point for us. Jesus provides for his people through his people. Jesus makes the impossible happen. He takes their meager abilities and then multiplies it in a supernatural miracle. But notice what happens. He gives the same five loaves and two fish back to the disciples. And I guess he kind of nodded his head because it doesn't say what he said. And they're like, I guess we're meant to give it out to everyone. Like it wasn't like a, a truck just arrived you know, from Tip Top Bakery and then a bird's eye uh, fish fingers truck arrived and then suddenly it's like, oh, okay, Jesus provided like that. No, there was five loaves and two fish and went from the disciples to Jesus. He prayed. He gives it back to the disciples and then nods and, and they have to just start distributing. But as the disciples go and do it, it's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't hand out the bread. He gives it to the disciples. Miraculously, the food multiplies and it gets broken and broken and broken and it just keeps breaking and the fish just keeps getting separated and moves from family to family to family to family to to thousands of people in the, the world's biggest church picnic. So much so that it fully fed everyone with 12, get that, 12 disciples, 12 baskets left over. Why does Jesus do it like this? He's teaching them. This is how the kingdom of God will advance when I'm gone. You will be actively involved in the process. I will provide for my people through you. In Matthew 14, our passage, he says to them, you feed them. Later, at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, he says, you disciple them. Jesus ascends into heaven and leaves them with this great commission. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Both of those tasks are impossible. For the disciples to feed the crowd, for the disciples to make disciples of all the nations. They're both impossible. 
But in both cases, the only way they're made possible is if the disciples do what Jesus has called them to do by relying on him first. The disciples can feed the multitudes because Jesus is with them and he blesses the bread and sends it out. So too, the Great Commission. They can make disciples of all nations because what, what does he say? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so our complete insufficiency for the task is meant to lead us to complete dependency on him for its success. Our complete insufficiency for the task that he's called us to do is meant to lead us to complete dependency on him for its success. And so that leads to our second application point for today. The first one, Jesus provides for his people, therefore run to him. The second one, Jesus provides through his people, therefore rely on him. Run to him, rely on him. Church, God has a unique calling on your life. Each and every single one of us has been called out from the domain of darkness and brought into his kingdom. Each and every single one of us has been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, has been taught to obey all that he's commanded, and has been given this commission, this mission to make disciples of all the earth. He's brought you into his kingdom for a purpose. He chose you. You are like one of these disciples with this charge to feed the multitudes. For some of us, the calling he has on our our lives may look grand and epic. For some of us, it may look more mundane, at least in our eyes, not in God's. But either way, we are called to fulfill these impossible tasks. We're all called to the great commandment to love God and love our neighbor. We're all called to the great commission to make disciples, baptize, teach, and baptize and teach them to obey everything. The question then is, who will you rely on to get it done? Faced with an impossible task, Faced with a command that you cannot fulfill on your own, who will you rely on to get it done? As one commentator remarked as I studied this week, he said, as disciples, we are prone to two extremes. And the disciples did both of these. And maybe you resonate. Number one, passive despair. The disciples are like, oh, we can't feed these people. At first, like, send them home, um, send them to Macca's, whatever. Uh, we look within ourselves and we think, I, I can't do that. Uh, that's too hard. So we give up and we just tap out and be like, oh, God, you do it. The second way we fall off the horse is frantic activity. This is the second way the disciples responded. Okay, uh, okay, quick, quick, quick. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, James, John, go and find some bread. Uh, Andrew, uh, Bartholomew, you go over there. Let's find how much food we've got. We frantically run around and like, okay, we've got five loaves, uh, two fish. All right, uh, uh, Simon, you cut them into 24,000 pieces. Okay, quick. <laughs> and we look within ourselves and think, let's get it done. God's called us to do it. Let's obey. What's the plan? What's the strategy? Let's run. 
Instead, what we're called to do in the face of these impossible tasks is humble reliance on Jesus coupled with obedient action. If he's called us to do the impossible, let's throw up our hands and say, it can't be done unless you are with me, unless you will help me. And then we gather our meager resources. We bring them to the Lord and we say, bless him. And we start obeying. We hand out the bread and we watch and see how it multiplies. As Jesus went on to say in John 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we've given this impossible task, friends. It's so hard, isn't it? And we look at it in ourselves and go, it can't be done. Or when we're deluded, we think, oh, if I just try really hard, I can get it done. Instead, we're called to come and be with Jesus and do it with him. One commentator, Dale Bruner, said it. I really like this. He said, disciples of Jesus need to learn to count to eight. Disciples of Jesus need to learn to count to eight. What that means is five loaves, two fish, plus Jesus. Oh, we can do it, right? So we look and we go, oh, it can't be done. But count to eight, abide in Jesus, include Jesus in all the tasks, and it suddenly becomes possible. Uh, recently, I've been going for walks um, with people, pastoral walks. I've gone for one with Matt in Guilford West. I've gone for one with Arby in Rydlemere, one with Henry in Oatlands. And as we've walked, it's interesting as you walk, you just see house after house after house family after family after family eternity after eternity after eternity and to be honest as i've looked around it's been overwhelming i look at it and just think this is impossible let alone the calling god has in my life to pastor this church or to lead my own family and the the four kids i've got is more than enough um, more impossible tasks than i can handle and so what are we meant to do in the face of the things that God has called us to do? Rely on him and obey. To bring it to him and ask him to help. This means that in your parenting, as you're called to make disciples of your children, bring all you have to Jesus and say, be with me. Help me to make disciples of these kids. As you go out to work or you're on Zoom chats and you're thinking, how am I ever going to A, do a good job, B, bring these people to know and love Jesus. Bring Jesus with you. Abide in him and watch him multiply your works. As you seek to display the treasure of the gospel to family members and friends and neighbors in your area, don't go into passive despair. Oh, it's too big. It's too hard. Not going to happen. Don't go into frantic activity. Okay, let's bake 633,000 cookies and deliver it to every doorstep in Parramatta tomorrow. Instead, come to the Lord 
in humble reliance and ask him to help you to do it. If you've got some great ministry idea for our church to help us as a church to know and apply and proclaim the gospel, well, like the good chief shepherd, I'm going to say to you, why don't you do it rather than get the church to do it? Why don't you do it? But how can we do it in humble and prayerful reliance on Jesus for the power to get it done? You might think, I don't have the skills. I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. And you don't. The disciples had five loaves and two fish. But when we bring them to Jesus and he is with us for the task, the impossible becomes possible. So friends, because Jesus provides for his people, run to him and receive his care right now. Whatever it is that is on your heart, whatever problem you have, run to him. And because Jesus provides through his people, rely on him to complete the mission that he has given you, the, the calling and the purpose of your life that God has put, uh, that only you can do. Rely on him. But finally, I want to end here. Uh, we began by reading this feast of Herod, and now we've seen this feast of the good king. Two kings. Two feasts, two different outcomes. But this feast, this feast on the mountainside of bread and fish, this meager feast, is really a hint towards two more feasts that are going to come. Firstly, it's a hint towards the great communion table that we get to share when we're back in person. These same words to take, break, bless and distribute bread is the same words used in communion. And it's a hint of this beautiful meal that we share, that in Christ we share not just of his food, but of his very life and blood and salvation. And this feast on this mountain in this desolate area is actually a hint towards a final feast, the marriage supper of the lamb and the church coming together. It's a hint towards the way that Jesus will finally provide for us in the most remarkable, satisfying and pleasurable way when we go to be with him forever in glory. This feast on the mountain is like what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And so friends, as we anticipate these feasts, as we look ahead to that future final feast with Jesus, one last application point. I've said run to him. I've said rely on him. And finally, remain in him.
remain in him. The crowd was healed, they were fed, and they tragically left and no longer continued to follow Jesus. They took their feed and that was enough. But friends, remain in Christ to the end and you will feast with him forever and ever. So come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. And what will we do? I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. Run to him, rely on him, and remain in him. Some Grace Church, Parramatta. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would humble us and help us to see you as the answer to our every need. Better than Foxtel, better than Jimmy's, better, you know, than the best coffees or the best solutions that we can ever have here on earth. It's you. You provide for our greatest need in reconciling us to yourself through your son. You've then made us new and alive in Christ. And then you promise us a future with you. Help us to see you as the great treasure and as the great one who provides for what we need. Help us to run to you and not all these other things first and foremost. And Lord, in the mission that you've given us, help us to rely on you to draw strength from you and know that as we go out and make disciples, you are with us. You empower us. You give us words. You give us opportunities. You open blind eyes. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with us and that we would rely on you in the process. And, Lord, help us to remain in you, to feast with you week after week through communion to the very end when we will taste and see that you are good finally and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.